0: Bagawato, Arahatoa, some ma, some Buddhasa, Namo atasa, Bagawato, Arahatoa, some ma, some Buddhasa, Namo atasa, Bagawato, Arahatoa, some ma, some Buddhasa, Bundang, Dhamma, Sanghang, Namasa, me. So today is um, January 16th, and this is a, uh, actually a memorial day for Ai Cha, who passed away on this day. Okay. Cha is obviously the, uh, the, the, uh, the teacher of our tradition that we follow after, and uh, we're hoping to uh, get Lumpur Therudammo to uh, tell some stories of his early days with Ai but. Cha. Uh, he was otherwise uh, uh, disposed. So, so it's my turn to tell stories of Ajintzha, but since I uh, didn't really know him in person. It would be a very short talk, I think. And when I was um, the passed pastor in 1992, and then he was um, um, 10 years before that, he was in a coma, so he didn't do much teaching. Verbally, anyway, yeah, the whole time. So, uh, um, yeah. So my generation would be, I think, um, second, at least second or third generation removed from Aten Chah himself. Um, when I came to what um there was a lot of reference to Aten Chah, but uh, yeah, I didn't know him. Um, but uh, the more I found out, yeah, obviously, you know, was very inspired. By uh, you know this person Atchintya, and depends on who you talk to, they will have a different version of the Atchintya that they knew, uh, which is always very interesting. And um, yeah, just kind of uh, following Atchintya Saro's book. Um, Still, stillness flowing. I think that's Atchintya's biography that we have in the uh, pre distribution book. It's a thick volume of all his uh, life and his practice and the teachings he had and uh, just reflection in, you know, when he died, they left his body for a whole year so that everybody can have a chance to pay respect to him. And that's what they do in Thailand to kind of um, important figures, the king or politicians or a lot of times it's the spiritual master, they will leave the body around for a year so everybody shows up to pay their respect. And apparently, uh, yeah, they said the last week when he, they were going to cremate the body you know, after you're sitting around, there's about a lot of million people that showed up to pay their respect to uh, uh, this you know this man who uh, wasn't well educated, had about four years of formal education I think, and uh, yeah, in a worldly way, um, you know wasn't accomplished and go to a good school. But in terms of the Dhamma, just kind of in terms of socially, he had an immense effect on you know, the people around him. And obviously, even when he was sick, um, the monastery, the monks who came to ordain with him were still growing. I think when he was had uh, a coma, I think there was about a hundred plus branch monasteries that was offered him directly uh, you know, when he was, uh, before he went to a coma. But during the 10 years, still grew. Now we have like 350 plus branch monasteries about Chinchang, actually, around Thailand. Yeah. And as you can say, that's amazing kind of power one person has. And, and he wasn't a big social, engaged person, he didn't go around, didn't lead any movement. Really, he just stayed, you know, first 20 years of his life, practice quietly in different forests different monastery or different jungle, or different forest places, and then um, just allowed the monks to uh, come and practice with him, and it just grew and grew and grew. And everybody was very devoted. And that's the common thing I realized with uh, a lot of Ajahn uh, Chah's disciples. They're really, really devoted to this person. Not everybody uh, found him to be uh, uh, what is called grandfatherly. He said, well, as he grow older. He was uh, beginning to get more softer. But then during the middle period of his teaching, he was known to be quite fierce and stern. You know, there were stories of him just kicking things over. I think it was one morning, I think um, one, one uh we stayed up late, usually at midnight there's a tea time. So everybody gets together to have tea and some sweet drinks and stuff. But then really the next morning he walked around the uh, monastery and saw a kettle that wasn't properly washed he kicked it sent flying all around so says uh, monks know how to drink but they don't know how to clean up now do they? <laughs> yeah. So he can be quite fierce in his admonishment of uh, things that we think is, you know, of uh, the monks getting slack or not paying enough t- attention obviously to uh, the requisites. But uh, towards the end of the year like with most uh, spiritual masters um, there's more of a grandfatherly kind of uh, um, demeanor the teaching is not as fierce. Maybe just through, uh, maybe people soften with age. Other times people realize, yeah, sometimes, you know, the, the fierce one, some people find it quite inspiring, but most are kind of uh, be, uh, very fearful of that and get scared and uh, they may not uh, engender such wholesome qualities. So most lot of the time he teaches just through more kindness and and, uh, and matta. But uh, it varies. Obviously, um, you know, being a very well a trained teacher sometimes he gets a sense of where the students at. and sometimes a lot of people, you know, might be respond better through uh, a bit of uh, fear, a bit of you know awareness. You know, like I said, you know, some teachers would have their teachers. You know, in Thailand, it's not uncommon. There is a story that I think one monk has his students meditate on little small platforms, really hide up on, on the trees. And the reason being, yeah, obviously, the fear of falling up keeps you awake, so you're not nodding so much. You find that, you know, sometimes the hot season in Thailand it's not uncommon. to you have experienced a lot of sloth and torpor. So this monk would help, you know, his, get his monks to climb up on the train little platform and get them meditate there all night. And uh, yeah, obviously, uh, many people said they had very good results when you are, you know, five meters off the ground. Yeah, then you're more awake, aware. You don't uh, Kind of, but uh, the mind wonders so much. Don't so you know what you are. The same as you know, you stand at the, you know, you sit at the edge of a um, a cliff or something, or just an edge of a, a platform. Yeah, and yeah, you're not. It's just there's just more awareness. And that's the, kind of the main thing. It's just kind of bring this awareness into what's happening. So that's kind of Ajahn Chah's funeral. The king and king of Thailand, the queen of Thailand, showed up to his funeral. Yeah. Um, pay their last respect. And it's just, it, you know For me, it just struck me interesting the kind of influence that we had on these people. And, they, and, and the thing that uh, I thought was wonderful, it wasn't like kind of a conscious thing just to start a movement or anything. It was just, you know, through the dedication of his practice, dedication of his restraint, his, his sila, and his concentration, that uh, these things just, you know, create a kind of a momentum, And all the people that followed him also built upon this energy. And that still continues growing. Obviously, you know, um, he's got a huge effect on the um, Western Buddhism. So many of the monasteries in the West, in England, in the US, obviously Australia, um, Europe, and now, you know, a monastery in Brazil, even, you know, have grown up based on the and a lot of the second generation, you know, yeah, we just know him removed from it. And uh, and yeah, for myself, yeah, you know, knowing Ajahn Chah through Ajahn Chah's sorrow story, as you know, I find it, yeah, even that is quite inspiring. You know, if Ajahn Chah can create somebody as nice as Ajahn Chah. So that's really, you know, not doing too bad. And he had a lot of an army of kind of uh, monks who were very, very devoted, and through his faith in them. They, you know, they they become really great teachers on their own. And um, yeah, reflection on kind of Ajahn Chah's life, his legacy, his his practice also is a good way just to kind of, uh, um, a good reflection, it's called the, um, what do you call that, um, Acharya Puja, reflection on, you know, the qualities of a teacher. Quality or, or to be Sangha Nisati, recollection of the virtues of the Sangha. The fact that you know, remembering all the kind of good monks and nuns that you've had the good fortune to come into contact with, or if you have you know, read the books, gain some benefit from that. And you know, and uh, in, uh, in Thailand, you know, for the last I don't know, many, many years, upon Narayan's death, um, for the month of January. I think January 13, 14, 15, and 16, uh, many people would show up to Wat Nong Phupong and uh, do practice in the forest, and they would culminate in a uh, big circumambulation with thousands of monks and tens of thousands of lay people walking on the tedi, and uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, one of the beautiful things just to witness, just you know, the, the effect of of uh, you know had on so many people, you know, there's so much joy and happiness about people's lives. Uh, but anything, um, you know, um, it can be quite overwhelming, yeah, because I'm more, so I go to Thailand every year, but not on these dates, because I've trained in uh, have been there a couple of times, and the first few years we did go there. But with these kind of big public events, sometimes the Dhamma is kind of, uh, uh, gets uh, uh, i said sorry, sorry gets distracted by so much activity because with these occasion you will have you know, thousands a month so you really can never really go talk to anybody you know, there's, you know actually Lupul Lim is a very good teacher normally I would go and talk to him but if you showed up on this occasion there are a hundred monks sitting in front of you because it's set by seniority uh, you wouldn't have an opportunity to spend much time to ask any questions or to just you know, have even a, a deep conversation. Um, and then there's uh, the issue of just, you know, having thousands of people around is not the most peaceful environment um, to practice as well. It's kind of, yeah, so it depends on the kind of the, um, the focus. So sometimes just focus on inspiring the fact, the legacy that Kim Chao has. Um, but it's not something that, you know, some people. something I think you probably should do it once or twice just to see, you know, the legacy, the Ajahn Child tradition, you know, all the monks that he's kind of uh, um, that ordained to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, to see that, but uh, over the years, yeah, it just become this really big, almost kind of carnival-like um, atmosphere, and, and uh, it's not so conducive to meditation. Um, yeah, so generally I go a week afterwards, and then you can have Ajahn Lim sitting under his hut. You can talk to him for an hour, an hour and a half. Which is something very, very rare for a very you know, well-known teacher. Yeah. So usually, you go a week after that, you know, the, the big ceremony, and then you go to different monasteries and you can um, um, actually have uh, spend some time with these great masters, and to have some discussion about the Dhamma or just you can have a conversation. Yeah. You know, I find that um, those kind of trips it's uh, quite inspiring, quite nourishing, just to be to touch base with, even though you know you're not there with the big group, you still get the sense of, you know, like I remind people over and over again that we're part of this huge family of kind of um, generating huge kind of uh, machinery, of generating wholesome states, generating you know, great karma of restraint, of harmlessness, of concentration, stillness of the mind, training of the mind, and of wisdom and compassion. Yeah. Because sometimes when you sit in your hut, you, you know, focus on, we can, you know, get sucked into our issues and worries and anxieties, whether we have what it takes to uh, finish the work, or can we get rid of our Tilasa, whatever it is that we get uh, kind of stuck on. But sometimes to have a bigger picture that, yeah, you know, we're just part of this, you know, movement. Towards wholesome state, part of movement towards training the mind, movement that spreads compassion and wisdom in the world. And, and it's kind of, um, and it's not a one-person thing, it's just, you know part of an army of things, of generating people, allowing people to come into contact with the Dhamma and spreading with the peace, with the clarity, with the compassion to the world. And it's a, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. Beautiful thing to be, you know, sucked into this current of the Dhamma that keeps rolling on, you know. We're just temporary actors on this kind of, in uh, this drama of life that goes on and on and on. And it's, and it's beautiful. Instead of being part of something that is, you know, the violence of these distractions in the world, or, or the injustice, we're part of a wholesome thing that just allows people to discover peace and stillness, compassion and wisdom. And one of the ways, you know, to, to pay respect, and I always, you know, this is something Ajahn Tan reminds us, truly pay respect to Ajahn Chah is to put into practice his teaching. Ajahn Chah is always kind of, sometimes he says in a kind of uh, pointed way. Ajahn so Chan will roll in his grave if he sees how many people showed up to this monastery. And it's not very quiet. <laughs> how can you get any practice done? So he says, you know, so the way, the best way, and it varies, you know, it depends on you're looking for practice or looking for like, inspiration. Because the best way, one of the oh, good ways to pay respect to your teacher is also to really you know, put forth a lot of energy towards the practice. So just, you necessarily don't have to go all the way to Thailand, you just put more effort into your practice wherever you are you know, in your hut, at home. Uh, some people, you know, just sit an extra hour that day and dedicate that to the the uh, cha or just dedicate it to you know, all beings. So sometimes, you know, people do that. And it's kind of one, also, a beautiful way to kind of um, pay homage to your teachers is that, you know, you, you put in you know, practice, you know, sometimes chanting, a lot of times just sitting in meditation, doing some metta, to radiate those kind of... Uh, feelings of kindness and compassion towards um, all beings. So, um, what other, let's say, kind of, um, in terms of reflection on the um, the life and the legacy years of Daxing Cha was, the thing I also recommend people to do, and we try to show this from time to time, uh, once a year, is the uh, BBC documentary tian Cha's life and the Buddha comes to Sussex is how they started a monastery in England and uh, the Mindful way was kind of a daily life that the BBC did in the late 70s on the whatpal and that's really beautiful. Uh, yeah, I've seen it you know, must be dozens of times and each time you see it yeah it still gets quite inspiring. Quite emotional. Just seeing Ajahn Chah talk—you you know, you read the books, but you never really see him talk. And sometimes you listen to talk. he sounds like Ajahn Amro. Ajahn Amro—that's all he's reading. So like, <laughs> but see Ajahn Chah talks you know, in front of you in Thai, it's very beautiful. And uh, so you see that, you know, and he's yeah—he's a small little guy, but the, the power behind his uh, his words, yeah, even through a, a video, it's quite palpable. Yeah, you can really feel it. Uh, there's a man who has yeah had uh, really deep wisdom, a deep practice, and, 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 and tremendous purity in his heart when he spoke. So it's always something I recommend people yeah just you know when you get a chance you can also have a look at that um, those videos to um, yeah to get some inspiration from the practice and you know and with the teacher yeah, the practice so much I was talking about the other day it's about surrendering giving up. So sometimes you have in the West a movement, just, you know, the vipassana the movement. where you are just doing the practice with no, no teacher, nothing. We're just, you know, purifying our own mind. We don't want to be like blind faith in a person. But sometimes I think a lot of it you lose, you know, the, uh, a lot, so much of the heart of the practice. It is through personal interaction that the Dhamma gets carried on. It is through personal interaction that we get inspired um, to go an extra, you know, to put in extra 10 percent, go an extra mile. It's not through an idea, a concept. That might inspire for a while, but ultimately, you know, the monks who know Ajahn Chah, you know, would go an extra mile because he's Ajahn Chah, not because of some concept. And or, you know, the monks, uh, the, the, the followers of Ajahn Tan, they're also very devoted. They would go an extra mile because it's Ajahn Tan telling them to do something. And it's not just because it's an idea that it's good for them. Although it may also be a, a good idea, but because of the human kind of um, dimension to it, it becomes much more lively, much more powerful. And I think that's why in Buddhism it is um, a system where it's transmitted in person. Because the Sangha is what makes the Buddha and the Dhamma, and the Buddha and the Dhamma alive. Because obviously the Buddha, this person passed away 2,500 years ago, the teachings left behind are in words. And you know, many people can write really good books, so you never know, know. But it's the Sangha. It's the living Sangha that brings all this together, that the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. That's why the triple term is very important. And that's why sometimes reflecting on, you know, um, the, a teacher, a great teacher like that uh, just having a contact, a meeting with the good monks and nuns makes the whole thing, you know, for me anyway, very personal, very achievable as well. You see it in real. Because sometimes you read the books, and you, you have this idea of the Buddhist life, and some people get that. They think, well, that's so far away that maybe enlightenment is not possible anymore. Because they haven't seen any monks and nuns that so they find that they can connect with, that they represent. But the Buddha and the Dhamma can really be, you know, the, the goal of that. And sometimes they think, well, these things are so far away. You know, maybe we're in an age where it's just too distracted, too uh, impure, we've gone so far from the Dhamma, from the simplicity of the jungle that maybe enlightenment is not possible anymore. And that's something that is, you know, we have to wait. And that's why you see many kind of tradition talk about the next Buddha. The Maitreya Buddha coming, that's why he'll save us from everything. But you know, according to the Buddhist teaching, that's not the case. You know, the Buddhist teaching is still around. So you don't wait till the next Buddha. Who knows? It might be another, you know, thousands of years before that happens. But as long as the teaching of the Buddha, of this Buddha is still around, Gautama Buddha is still around. And there are still good practising monks and nuns. So you know that it gives you a lot of faith and confidence that it is possible to achieve the goal of the practice. It is possible to transcend suffering in this, you know, life. And it is, you know, and it's it's something that is within each and every one of us. Yeah. And but also sometimes, you know, we also have to be careful not getting trapped in this modern world of goal setting like I want to do it this lifetime. As long as, I always encourage people, as long as the path of increasing happiness, increasing sense of well-being, increasing stillness, then you're going on the right path. And it doesn't matter, because time is just an idea. All you have is the present moment. You're happy, content in the present moment. That is the most important thing. Whether how long it takes, that's just our ego, our impatient talking. And it doesn't matter. Every day you wake up, there's a sense of energy, a sense of gratitude, a sense of appreciation to being in a place that you can practice, being supported by a community of people who are going in the same direction. Then that is a great blessing. Whether you get into your jhanas, whether you know, everything goes your way, it's not so important, really. Whether everything works or not. You know, they cut the car works, or the toilet works, or this, that, the other works. Mm. It's just the play of worldly conditions, Yeah, happiness and suffering, gain and loss. Sometimes someone offers a car, next week it breaks, yeah, gain and loss, right in front of you, right there. Sometimes people come and say, oh, this is such a great monastery, I love this, I want to stay for a long time. And then other people say, oh, it's a bit, a bit, a bit busy, Bhante, a bit too many people. Can I come back when it's less people? You do a bit too much work here." and mean, in the end of the past, answer. we don't do any work at all. We just sit and meditate 10 hours a day. So, you know, can you, can you do something about this schedule or something? Yeah, so it's praise and blame. It's like, yeah, this is just part of the worldly conditions that we fall fallen ourselves. Yeah. And it's, that's just, you know, things. But not ultimately, so important, really. The most important thing is, yeah, we're in a place that you can practice. We're supported by, you know, a large community in Sydney who come um, to, to offer the, the, uh, the material support. And then we also support each other in a way that, you know, encouraging people to continue walking the path. And each and every day, you know, you're a bit closer. So, the main thing about the Dhamma practice. It's a long journey. It's more of a, uh, a marathon, to tell people. It's not a sprint. You know, sprint to the finish line. Look at back and forth. Who am I ahead of you, behind you, where am I? No, it's a marathon. Just keep, continue walking. Keep, continue striding. Continue purifying your mind. Continuing um, building on your harmlessness. Continue developing the spiritual qualities each and every day. And mainly enjoy the path. Bring up joy and happiness. And that's what we're doing. Otherwise, it's just another job, another drudgery. Oh, one more day. Hopefully, I'm enlightened soon. One more day in this boring place. I am so bored of this. One more day, watching my breath. Oh my God. (laughs) Can't take this anymore. Now you find joy and happiness, uh, this, it is a great blessing to be here, beautiful forest, you know, amazing animals that we have, amazing beauty in this place, really, we just have to kind of take a minute to look around, you know, beautiful flowers, amazing uh, things to be part of, and it is, you know, I'll tell people all and over again, it's a great blessing to be in the middle of an Australian bush, Practicing meditation, living very close to what the Buddhist life was, you know, like, you know, everything by donation. People come and support the monastery, and it's you know it's a mutually beneficial relationship. People are really happy and joyful when they come to our monastery, and, and you know, and, you know and we're as a community providing an alternative to a way of life, the city life that's very busy very distracted, very driven, very commercial. Here, you know, everything is giving with a, a free heart, with an open heart. Nothing was expected, you know, people bring whatever they want to bring, they offer. There's no charge. We offer, you know, accommodation without having you know, a, a fixed price on it. Yeah. And it's something, and it's, you know, everything is just um, with an open heart, an open hand. And it's something that's very against the world, where we go in the world and there's a price everything, there's time, there's expectation, I paid this money, I want this back, With mean, there's a sense of satisfaction. Here, it's like, there's an openness to it. There's a freedom of not being, you know, kind of stuck in a certain way. And that is a, a great blessing, a great, um, great fortune to be part of that we shouldn't take it for granted. That sometimes it's good to step back to the day-to-day life of, you know, that sometimes you can get caught up, uh, get a bit of cabin fever, get caught up on, you know, who didn't clean the toilet properly, or who left the spittoon now, or who made too much noise when they're sleeping or something next door. But in the bigger scheme of things, yeah, this is paradise we have the great fortune to be in this together. And let's not forget it, let's not take it for granted. Let's reflect on our good fortune that we have to be practicing. Instead of, some people say, oh, I'm stuck here, the board is closed, no, I'm stuck here, I can't, I'm gonna wait till I, I can't wait till I get home now. <laughs> but instead of saying that, you say, oh, it's a great fortune, I get to be here for another three weeks. Wow, what amazing, good luck I have. <laughs> so um, yes, on this day of um, as Chan's me- memorial, it's a great opportunity to bring up you know the uh, the blessings of a great teacher, the blessing of the Buddha, and I, for myself, like I said, you know um, um and that's interesting once you kind of um even though I know there, there are many kind of traditions out there, many people who have you know, access to truth, and wisdom, there are many, obviously, you know, Ajahn Chah is only one of the way to you know, achieve kind of purity and compassion and wisdom. And there are many great teachers throughout history. There are many great teachers now doing that. It's funny when you to kind of, you get to a point where it's like, you know what, I'm sure there are great teachers out there, but Ajahn Chah is enough. His teachings are enough for me. I don't need to find out, you know, um, ten different teachers to, to be content. It's just, after all, it's just something that clicked. So maybe I would say I have some past karma with, uh, with uh, Achan Chan or his, uh, his uh, disciples. But once I started discovering that, after my five years of where I can you know, start reading other things, other traditions, um, and I picked up a few books, but nothing clicked, nothing kind of resonated. With myself as much as Ajahn Cha and Ajahn Tan. And there was a period, through though, I was um, like, you know, being kind of uh, westernly conditioned sometimes, so you want to discover the next, the next Ajahn Cha. So I go to Thailand and get, you know, you talk to monks, get to the great minds, oh, who's the next generation? And uh, we'll go and visit these kind of out of the way monasteries. And some of them are quite nice. They're very nice and very like you know. You can say, "Oh, Ajahn Chah," when he wasn't so famous. These very kind of simple monks living in very simple monasteries, um, kind of uh, out there, I off the beaten track. So it's say, because there are many famous teachers nobody everybody visits these famous monasteries. So I say, well, what about their their disciple? What are the good disciple? What about the second generation of monks like uh, Ajahn Chah, second generation of monks who, who are well practiced? What's the reputation like? Uh, you know, or know? Uh, N- Tamha Bu was, was a very famous monk. What about his second monk? Or the third generation monk. You know, what, what are they doing uh, to, to try and discover these, uh, these new next generation and to kind of develop relationship with? And um, but after a while, you're like, Meh, that's kind of, it's a nice idea. But the, the point is not to discover the next generation. The point is just kind of do the work and just you know, get on with it and not worry. So then I uh, we kind of stopped doing that. So now we just have a certain number of monasteries we go to, like Wapananichat, uh Lumpur Lim, which is Ajintan's um, you know, kind of uh, disciple. And then, uh, and that's enough. Yeah, maybe in one, uh, I think, who is that? Oh, Lumpur or something. So one more teacher. And then, uh, you know, and then kind of, That's enough kind of input, dhamma input, enough inspiration, because otherwise you can see the mind can start to proliferate to find out, you know, new teacher, better teacher. And there are, when you see these different teachers, there is some um, kind of, you know, some interest or interesting, a different way to look at dhamma. But basically... On one sense, it's like a different way, you know, obviously they have different personalities, so they, 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 they hit you from a different angle. But they all kind of go from the same direction. So much of it, going in the same direction towards, you know, surrendering, letting go, rubbing away a sense of self, moving beyond your life and dislike. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, Dhamma is just that much. And that's the beauty of it. It's not more Dhamma that we need to know every one of you in this room, I'm sure you've read enough books. is just put into the practice of what we know. Just you know, taking that deeper and realize those things for ourselves, realize those truths for ourselves. And, and meeting those, that's the beauty of meeting those people. You can see that they all have their own personal stories, but no different than, than each and every one of yours and our stories here. You know, Have your weaknesses, you have your strength, you have your attachment, you. But it's as long as what is. But it reminds me: as long as you don't give up, as long as you have the faith and the perseverance to continue on this path each and every day, you surely will achieve, you know, the ultimate goal. Yeah. It might not happen right away, but it may happen 50 lives. But It doesn't matter. I remember: mean, the journey is a beautiful journey of increasing peace, stillness, wisdom and clarity, meeting really beautiful people that are continuing doing the same thing, and also sharing this, so encouraging, so creating a whole momentum of movement, of Dhamma, of of, of, of peace, stillness, compassion, acceptance, forgiveness. These are beautiful things that needs to be generated, needs to be expand it. it, needs to be spread out to the whole world, because we surely need it in this day and age. So on this day of Ajahn Charles Memorial, reflecting on his legacy, reflecting on the inspiration we get from teachers, from the Buddha, and also reflecting on you know, the inspiration we get from each other, of helping each other, going toward the same direction. Yeah. So may we all continue on the same path, may we be part of something huge and wonderful. Ultimately, it ultimately helps us lose ourselves and be part of the Dhamma, the Dhamma current. Yeah. And it may bring lots of blessings to each and every one of us, but also to the whole world and all beings. Yeah. So I'll put that your reflection. <laughs> I Dhamma a double among a